All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. This is my podcast, WTF. How's it going? Today on the uh, on the show, uh, the Daniels are here. That's that's they go by the Daniels. They di- they direct movies. It's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart. They're the writers and directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once as well as the movie Swiss Army Man. A lot of music videos, television episodes. Swiss Army Man is a fucked up weird movie. So I was excited to talk to them about this. I made the crowd. The crowd is good. I actually had my buddy Jerry Stahl came over. I unloaded some crowd on Jer- Jerry. I'm giving crowd away. I'm going to be the crowd guy. I'm thinking about getting another batch of crowd going, trying to adjust to this vegetarian business. And again, not a lifestyle choice. Just wanted to see if I could do it and see if it's satisfying and it makes me feel better. It does not. The other day, I ate a plate of rice and beans and broccoli rob and fake meat. And I, 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 I thought my entire system was going to seize up and I was going to die. Like I ate it at two in the afternoon, could not eat anything until the next morning. Now, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't know. I'm doing the research. I'm trying to do it right. But I think I feel better. I feel like there's some part of me that, and again, this is not ideological, but I do think there's some part of me that feels like I've eaten enough meat for one lifetime. And is it an ethical thing? I don't know. I, maybe it is a little bit because nothing really upsets me more than when animals are in pain. Like if, if I, I think if I'm in a movie you know, God willing, I get another movie and I need to cry. I just, I'm just going to think of that polar bear on that and that floating around on that one piece of ice always got left. Just think about that polar bear. I can, I can make me cry right now. Think about whales washing up on the beach, thinking about lost dogs. I mean, it's fucking shattering. And I get so upset with it more than people, you know, people like fuck them. They're the, you know, like, I, I mean, I understand everyone's going to die, but sometimes the discomfort and torture and pain of animals is so much more upsetting. You, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think people have a, you know, they've, they've had a good run of the world and they've, they've, you know, look, if we all go, we all go. That's another thing I don't understand. Who the fuck wants to live after an apocalypse? There's so many people putting so much effort into preparing like these bunker people. It's like, what, why would you want to live like me personally? Like, would I want to live after an apocalypse? No, because I'm not prepared. I have no canned foods. I don't want to be the guy kind of running around, you know, talking to the bunker people saying like, come on, man, can I just get a can of beans? All we've got is uh, jerky and canned meat. I'm like, I'm kind of not doing meat right now. Uh, Do you got any any beans or any uh, vegetables, canned vegetables of any kind? And then uh, they butcher me. They kill me and butcher me and make me into jerky. That's how it plays out in my head. I'm just riffing here. I feel okay today. You know, I don't know what's driving me. I got to be honest with you. Sometimes shit has to fester for a long time. You have to get good and ripe with a resentment, with a problem, with a secret before you fucking pop. And then you're ready to go. I mean, some people, they just, you know, automatically process it right away. But look, man, you might just be a cauldron of, of emotional garbage that's starting to overflow. And there's nothing, I don't know, 
it goes either way. Sometimes that's attractive. You're like sort of, hey, what's in that pot over there? It looks like it's bubbling. Or Jesus Christ, somebody get that off the fire. Either way, if you're the cauldron, I don't know, you might need to talk to somebody. I'm, I'm on the edge of it. I'm on the edge of it right now because I'm feeling okay. And that for me is scary. It's a big problem because in my past experience, um, people don't like me when I feel good. I can just feel it. You know, I have a friend happened the other night, this friend of mine, a comic who has known me for a long time was like, How, how's your special? And I'm like, it's great. And they were like, um, oh, well, that's good. You know, like I knew that there was some part of them was sort of like, hey, where's old miserable Mark? Where's old, like, hey, it wasn't that good. Uh, I don't know, I'll try again. You know, there's something about me feeling okay with myself that people that have known me a long time find uh, unattractive. So what I need to do, I guess, is really focus on what's, what's upsetting me. But getting back to this meat business. So I don't know if it's becoming an ethical thing with me the not eating meat, but I get it. Like I've really eaten a lot of meat in my life. When you really think about it, just break it down. How many pigs, how many chickens, how many uh, cows, how many fish, how many eggy waggies? You know, how much have you, how much is, have you ingested? And then I start to think about, well, you know, it's not like with plants at some point agriculture happened and mankind decided that we could just raise these animals and farm them and, and uh, raise them to be eaten and raise them for dairy. Sure. Sure. But when it gets down to, you know, big agribusiness and just these sort of warehouses of pain that, uh, you know, what goes into your meat, I thought that a long time ago, that the amount of terror, I would imagine that, uh, big agriculture of the animals on, on big business farms, the amount of terror that is in those places is going right into your meat. You're just eating a patty of fear. You're just eating a, a, a nice prime cut of terror. And I think I've talked about this before, but it never really bothered me. It bothered me a bit, but not enough to be like, I ain't eating that. Again, I'm not proselytizing. I'm not moralizing. I'm just coming to grips with the idea that maybe I've eaten enough animals. And if it's possible for me to find a way to eat without eating them, and also, mind you, I'm also looking out for my heart and my sugar and stuff, maybe that's good. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to eat the pain. I'm tired of eating pain. I'm tired of eating my own pain. I'm tired of eating the animal pain. I can handle the sadness of broccoli. You know, I can handle the sadness of cabbage though I treat cabbage very nicely, but I can handle the, the melancholy of vegetables. I'm not sure I can handle the terror of animals or the pain of animals. I just don't want, I don't know if I want another kind of a skewer of uh, fear. I don't know if I want it. Again, not moralizing, not uh, proselytizing, not pontificating. I just feel like I've eaten my share of animal terror. But again, don't hold me to it because there will come a day. I'm a weak guy. Uh, you know, I can hold on for a while, but eventually I give in and then who knows how long it's going to go on for. Like this cigar disaster. It's a fucking train wreck. I'm fucking up in, on my porch in the morning, dude, puffing on fucking stubs from the night before. This is where it goes. 
This is like, you want to talk about addiction and compulsion. I haven't had dessert in a month. I had one piece of halva at a Middle Eastern place the other night. The next day I'm like, holy shit, I need to fucking mainline some processed sugar. It's that quick. And to get off these cigars, I just can't, I have to just do a cold turkey. But then there's that part of your brain. It's like, but I'm enjoying it. Look, I'm sitting down. So look, I'm not saying I'm not going to, you know, kind of spiral and have a tomahawk steak and some bacon. But I'm saying this is my thought process right now. This is my thought process. I, I, if I feel so moved by the pain of animals, why am I eating that pain? Again, not moralizing, personal. And again, there will come a day where, where I will eat a whole fucking chicken. But today, I'm thinking about this stuff. Listen, the Daniels are here. They just won the Director's Guild Award for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once and are nominated three times at this year's Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. And I realize that sometimes I'm not as professional as I should be in terms of, like, I rarely have two guests in the place. But if you want to ID their voices so you can keep track of them in this episode, the first person you hear, the first guy you hear respond to me is Daniel Kwan. He says, wow, what a compliment. That's Daniel Kwan. And then Dan Scheinert is the one who goes on to talk about dressing nicer and feeling like a phony. There you go. There's your key for this episode. Here we go. Let's do it. Me and the Daniels. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Well, for me, honestly, it's my stereo system. For years, I've wanted this stereo system. And then at some point, I realized like, hey, you're saving money. Buy it. So I got a pretty top of the line tube driven stereo system. It has changed my life. It's not only great for listening to music. It's great for me to sit there with my guitar while I jam or just rock out. Because when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. Just like the all-new Lexus GX. It has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. And available multi-terrain select system for off-road drivability. Any of these options will help you take your Lexus GX to the limit, just like I did with my stereo system. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You guys, like, what? how's, how's it going with this... Roller coaster, you're, you seem pretty casual, like normal people. It, yeah. I don't feel like the Oscar buzz and the momentum and the junket mm. has at least changed the way you dress. Wow, what a compliment. Oh, wow. Thank you. I, that was very intentional of me today. Literally, <laughs> well, literally yeah. yeah you I'm not going to wear the day. fancy shit. Yesterday, I was like dressed a little nicer and we did some interviews and I was really tired and I felt a little bit like a phony. Yeah. And then today, I put on clothes that I've owned for, you know, two years. You went back years. to it. I was yeah. like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress like myself. Yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> Relax. Wait, yeah. What's, what's the phony attire? Uh, I mean, it's it's still me. It's still all my stuff. It's just like nicer. Oh yeah, you know. Sure, I have that. I don't stuff. have a button up. Yeah, shirt. you wear you wear it twice. Yeah, yeah. You buy it to wear things, and then you don't. You, what are you? Are you guys set for uh, the formal wear? 
Yes. Let's get um, straight into it. I think so. I don't know. The, the funny thing is there's at least um, two... I think there's at least two award shows every weekend until the Oscars. Really? And so that adds up, yeah. Did somebody step up and uh, and dress you? Um, well, actually, our incredible costume designer, Shirley Carada, who oh, okay. worked on our movie, she, yeah. you know, she comes from the fashion world, so sure. she offered to do me a favor, and so she's been helping me hook up every event um because really? otherwise it's it's so much work and she did she get the connection so where they're they're getting you the free shit so you I get mean, yeah it's it's some free shit but then also you just <laughs> sometimes you just borrow something and that's great yeah then, then of you course. don't feel like you have to put it in your closet forever it's no, kind right. of the free. best way a yeah. free rental it's yeah a free rental it's amazing mm-hmm. um but like the fun thing is she's known for dressing like hip-hop artists and yeah. just like going very weird with her stuff right so she's got some really good hookups oh so you guys are are gonna stand out uh, You're going to be the, the, the youngsters with attitude at the Oscars. We like color, but... Uh, I've the been... youngsters with attitude, is that is yeah. that going to be our, our, <laughs> our tagline? I like that. Yeah. yeah. You guys are just going to walk down that aisle. Or some people online, yeah. some, someone called us a soy boy, right? And we were like, hell oh. yeah, we are. We're going to be like colorful soy boys. <laughs> yeah. who, who the fuck um, called you a soy boy? I can't remember. Dan brought it up. Oh, and I was like, know. I love soy milk. Was it's, it a troll? Yeah, it was a troll. It, it, it's know. one of those things where like... Maybe I don't even know the definition. And that's why, it's but it's derogatory. a troll thing. It's, yeah. It sounds cool. It, like, it, it, hipster is also sounds cool. Hipster yeah. is Hip. fine. Soy, soy boy, beta male, those are the uh, cuck. Yeah. Soy boy, yeah. beta milk. I'm into cuck. all these things. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting right into it. Yeah, this you, is all. You can't hurt us. Your <laughs> arrows are just falling off our bodies. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, there's arrows that sting, but those ones, I'm like, well, what the fuck right. did they come? What are those guys coming at you for? Well, I mean, it, it happens anytime you get too big, and I, I think we were kind of lucky enough to exist in this industry. Yeah. just just at the right level of success where we found our our audience and yeah. those people like were our people and it was kind of great and then of of course with this movie all of a sudden we are being exposed to all sorts of different kinds of humans right and some people just don't want uh i don't know i, I think we're just like silly boys and some people oh. some people don't think the world needs more silly boys mm. so huh, but they can't there's no they can't really identify a political agenda in what you do Hmm, I mean, I mean it's every, in there, bro. Yeah, every, <laughs> no, sure. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's not like, you know, usually those guys are worked up about uh, liberals. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. their trip. Yeah, we are that. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> Sorry. But, it, but it, I don't, maybe I don't remember all of the movie because there's a lot in it mm-hmm. where it's expressed, it's expressed as clearly as that. Right. Is yeah. it? It's, I mean, it's intentionally not. Yeah. yeah. In some ways, like early drafts, it was in there. I mean, the whole movie is sort of a reaction to how we felt uh, with the Donald in office. Like, Donald in COVID? Or no, it was pre-COVID. It was pre-COVID. COVID, yeah. So like, so apocalyptic Donald. Yeah. yeah. Just but, like, the terror of Donald every day. Exactly. But then like while writing, it's like we, we found ourselves like, it's like really not helpful to just scream about that guy. Right. Or, and, and so we we really tried to get at something more complex than just like bullies suck, you know, sure. like, well, sort of mean, obvious. Like, so you guys went deeper to the sort of, that's, that's the, the reaction in an angry way to what was mm-hmm. going on or in yeah. a terrified way. But if you go deeper into either anger or terror, then the complexities of how you're reacting and how it affects your mind right. is, is where you guys went. And yeah. how it affects our families, you know, oh, yeah? uh, you know, which is like something so many people have felt over the last several What'd years. What'd you have? Uh, I like, mean, like, what do you mean, you're family? From, you're like, from Alabama. I'm from Alabama. You grew up in Alabama. Yeah. What part? Uh, outside Birmingham. Really? Yeah. I like. Uh, I like Birmingham. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, my experience there was shooting a movie for two weeks. Yeah, Sword of Trust. Yes. Uh-huh. I and have a bunch of friends that worked on it. You do? Yeah. That was great. Yeah, it turned out great. Yeah. I was so uh, excited. Do but, you know that store that we shot at? That weird old pawn shop? No, never oh. been. But I, I thought, well, like in any like Southern city with a bit of a population, you have an aggressive progressive Totally. Uh, contingent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's, so that's definitely Birmingham. That's something I think yeah. people don't realize is that like Birmingham is progressive as hell. You oh, know? yeah. And it's like, and it's like, you know, fuck you. Look at that. We're here, you know? Totally. So when you say family, do you have, did their brains break during Trump? No, I mean, or not my already, immediate family, yeah. but the community did. And like, it's it was a very divisive time. It still is, you know? Yeah. And so like the more extended the family gets, you know, right. the the more variety <laughs> there and, is. There, and what about but, when you were growing up? Like what was uh, what was your world like? What did your folks do? Yeah, my, my parents were, uh, they both were in like telecommunications and had like normal kind of office jobs for like companies that yeah. got swallowed up by AT&T eventually. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and funnily enough, that, that was my family story too. Really? Yeah, both my parents are immigrants, but they both ended up in telecommunications. In what, what capacity? Um, well, my, my father was, he started out more as a programmer and then yeah. eventually he went into marketing um, once, especially once the languages started to get too advanced or like he was starting to fall behind. He's, he became more of like a market or like a salesperson. Okay. Um, and my mother, she, she started out with like, um, t- like teaching, you know, like teaching local colleges, uh-huh. um, just like the basics of, of like windows. And where'd like they that. come from? Wow. Uh, my dad's from Hong Kong and my mother's from Taiwan. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's just funny that both of our parents ended up in telecommunications because the same thing happened. So many mergers and so many moments where different companies bought out the the company that my, my dad was at. That's why we moved a bunch growing but up. But do you think, can you track any sort of a, a specific way it affected your minds? Telecommunications, or is that just a coincidence? Are you yeah. trying to draw a connection? Because, well, there's know. like, you know, we were involved in something almost psychic at the time. I do think it... Uh, no, not that, but I mean, maybe, but I, I do think that like my, uh, my parents were exposed to more than just Alabama, you right. know, by, by being part of these companies and traveling, et cetera. Like it wasn't like I grew up in like a super insular small town. You only know your relatives, right? you know, like my mom traveled a lot. Uh, and so it kind of, I wasn't like, um, just right. You know, stuck, stuck in yeah. that in Alabama mind and neither were they, you yeah. know, so like That's they're, interesting. yeah. I mean, for me, just the fact that my my dad was such a computer nerd. Yeah, we had a uh, you know a desktop before most people did, and we had internet before most people did. So I was really tech savvy from a pretty young age. Like I was able to type when I was like I don't know. Can you four program? Or five. Um, I used to. Really? I, it's all gone now. Like I can I can do the really simple stuff if yeah. I have to. Like yeah. do some like like you know website redesign sure. or whatever. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of it's gone. But uh, or hack into my computer to yeah, figure out exactly. The, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that good. No. Um, you couldn't. Do it? No. no. But what it taught me was just how to teach myself on the computer, which right. I think is was so invaluable to us as filmmakers because the only reason why we kind of um, broke out at the time we did was because there was so much information online to yeah. teach ourselves how to film, right? How to, how to become filmmakers, how to do visual effects, how to edit. All that stuff is like mostly learned online by by ourselves. Really? I mean, a lot of it, yeah. Because like, well, that's the one thing about both movies, about Swiss Army Man and and everything uh, everywhere uh, all at once. You know, it seems like from from a layman's perspective, like how they do these effects, man. Mm-hmm. It's like how they shoot this in the time they shot it in. This is crazy. <laughs> 
But I guess once you know how to do them, it's not daunting and it's probably not as complicated as I think it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that was our MO when we first started out was we were the music video guys who could like do all our own visual effects. Do the matrix so shit? Like, Give us a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> we we'll could do, could do the cheap matrix shit. Yeah, totally. exactly. yeah, yeah, very janky. Yeah. But that was sort of the sort of the charm, you know, was like, oh, our ideas are ambitious and we can figure out how to jankily yeah. pull it off. But when you were a kid, like when you were a kid doing your computer business, where'd you grow up? Massachusetts. Where? Um, right outside of Worcester. What town? Westboro. Do you know Westboro? Mass? Yeah, I know all those towns. Oh, yeah. Okay. I great. started comedy and in, in doing one nighters in, in the New England area. Oh, great. Hmm. That's fun. So, how, yeah, it was all right. It was weird. I just got a text <laughs> today about my HBO special from a guy who used to book those gigs. No way. Back when I was there in like 88. Oh, my 1988. God. 1988. Oh, yeah. That precedes me. That's yeah. Well, this guy was, you know, booking me on comedy shows. Oh, amazing. It's uh, Mike Clark. Mike Clark. <laughs> Clark. Lenny Clark's That's brother. Like classic. That sounds yeah. like a blister. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so close to like a prank phone call name. Well, I think uh, I think Mike Lear, Clark. Mike Clark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then his brother Lenny Clark, and there was a Mac Clark. Mac uh, Clark. Oh, really? That's yeah, too Mike good. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna put that in, a, in one of our movies. Someone's gonna be called Mike Mac Mac Clark. Mac Mac Clark. But it's actually M A H. Yes, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So you grew up around that? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Around <laughs> yeah. all of that, around just the the frenzy of sports fans. Like I think that's one of the things that like really like took me back when I first. Was it Patriots? It was everything. Oh it was yeah, Patriots, Celtics, like Sacks. Uh, yeah, the Red Sox. Sacks. Like everyone, everyone was just obsessed with every possible sport and every possible team. But you came out. You didn't get the accent. <laughs> no, I didn't get the accent. You could. I mean, not at all. Yeah. Westboro. Westboro is you know it's a suburb. Yeah. There's, there's, and yeah, we're we're pretty sheltered from a lot of that stuff. There used um, to be a gig in Worcester, at the Margaritaville Stitches, a comedy club had Stitches at Margaritaville, mm. and it was a Mexican restaurant. Oh, that's fun. I think in a mall. Yeah, man. I don't. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty beat up when you were growing up. I imagine yeah, Worcester, right? Yeah, Worcester was. That was where we would go to like see punk shows at the Palladium. That uh -huh. was like my scene. Yeah, it was. It was so fun. We would. We yeah. We actually at one point we played a uh, me and my my uh, really terrible garage band. We played a. Uh, what is it? A battle, of, a battle of the bands yeah. at the Palladium. Oh, really? Very, yeah, it was, was very, a... very traumatic. It's why I quit film. Or it's why I quit. Um, yeah, being a musician. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, I had <laughs> so a traumatic was... music experience that kept me out of the game for like I was never in it professionally. Yeah, me neither. But it took one embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I want to hear this now. What was yeah. this? <laughs> I went to a music camp. I played guitar. It. Oh yeah, I've told the story, but I'm just now getting over it over the, in mm. the last five years. Where like each you were supposed to put together. You know, there's a presentation a show yeah, yeah. at the end of camp and Amazing. I put together just this bunch of guys all we were going to try to do is get through a fucking uh, Chuck Berry song Amazing. it's just Johnny be good can we do it fellas but of course these idiots they all got wasted we were 15 <laughs> not, and everybody fucked up I couldn't get the key right and it was just so in the we were in front of the entire camp but the punchline really is that the other group of guys who put a band together the nerds in my recollection, they got up on stage and played an entire Genesis record. Right. So, <laughs> of course. They just destroyed you. <laughs> totally. Wow. And it, it really mm. fucked me up in it's terms the, of singing and playing in front of people forever. That is, uh, I mean, that's not too different from what, what we, happened. Well, we had a, a, like a really cute pop punk band in, yeah. a, in the time when everyone was called. Going, they are called. Oh my god, it's just so embarrassing. I don't now know people if I, can Google it. Is it Googleable? I don't know. I do you no not idea. know about this? No, I no. do know. I just oh. wanted to say the name, which oh. is the Captains of Cute. Uh, all right, was, they're called the Captains of Cute because uh -huh. we were. It was. It was. 
it was two short women, like like five foot tall yeah. girls who yeah. were harmonizing, and they were our you know they were our front women. Yeah. So it was they were the faces of the whole thing, and they were adorable. So we called and you ourselves were keyboards and hype man, right? Um, I did synth and guitar, but yeah. um, it, at the time in Worcester, it was all about grindcore, and 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 just everyone was getting. What's a grindcore band? Hit me. I don't know. Um, the Locusts were kind of okay. big back then. Um, they're just it's just like how loud, how technical can sing you a be? little bit of sure. it? Like they're yeah. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> or break one of your microphones, um, but incredibly technical work. It's like really yeah. um, hard stuff to play. But, yeah. Um, it's it, and sometimes people would 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 mix it up with jazz. So you'd have oh, like really? a jazz solo into a grindcore breakdown. Okay. And everyone was doing it. Um, and not you, not us. And because yeah. of that, we really stood out. And so we we actually got got like a pretty big fan base within the school. Yeah. And we had to sell tickets for the Battle of the Bands, and basically. If you, the more tickets you sold, the yeah. better your time slot right. was. And so this was a two-day festival. The best time slot was around 7 to 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. Okay. And we got 7.30 <laughs> on a Saturday night yeah. because we sold so many tickets. The uh, spot. The spot. Set up for success. And this was, this, this was a, this was a, um, a big festival where it was more than just high school kids. Uh-huh. So high school kids, adults, like, so people in their 20s and 30s were pl- competing right. against us. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were just not ready for a stage that big. We 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 had only done garage. How big? It was. I mean, it was the Palladium downstairs okay. at the Palladium, All which right. is basically one of those opera houses that okay. has like a couple thousand. Yeah, and you get the you get the balcony tier everything. Uh-huh. It was oh um, horrifying. How did you sell so many tickets? Because like I'm, t- I'm telling you, the, the freshman uh-huh. class. Right. We oh, just had all these kid fans. We were we okay. were seniors at the time. So you're in oh, high school. Cool. Okay. We're in high yeah. school. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you get up there and choke. Is that what happened? We get up and it's more than just a choke. Our I mean this this is the through line here. Our drummer got really high right beforehand because he was nervous. Right. And when the drummer's high, the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> And so we had to like just stumble our way through four or five songs. At one point, we did uh, "Twist and Shout" by the Beatles. That was our one cover song. Yeah. And oh my god, it was. <laughs> it is so. It is so humiliating. We you actually feel it now. I'm mm-hmm. feeling it a little bit. Yes. I'm glad you told your story first. It's, it's helping a little bit, but. but I remember just watching out on uh, in the audience and yeah. seeing our friends and families yeah. trying to dance along to our music and not being able to find the beat, oh. and that was just like. Whoa. So heartbreaking. Trying to hide the uh, the, the horrified reaction. <laughs> they can't even yes. clap along. It was. It was. There's nothing worse than looking out in the audience and seeing concerned faces of peers. Yeah. Yeah. Of of people oh. who love you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we all just kind of hid backstage for like the next three or four sets because we couldn't go back out. Oh. Um, and uh, that it, got you out. It, that got me out. Without without that experience, we wouldn't have the movies that you made. Okay. Thank you. That's oh. a good. That's no, a good a way to, to, to. So now you share some trauma. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to hear? Uh, should I do my Tim and Eric or my high school theater? Which one's? <laughs> Let's go back. High school theater. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Tim and Eric. That's all. That's embarrassing already. I don't even know what happened. <laughs> yeah. But there's no way you're going to win there. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, what it was, did they do to you? I was an intern there, and I accidentally showed the entire cast and crew one of my testicles, just like popped out. Just one. Yep. Huh. I just cut to the. I cut on to the camera. Twist. It was yeah. on camera. Yeah. I, there's a there's a sketch called D pants where they pour diarrhea all over me and they needed someone to pour the diarrhea on the, these. So you're pants. the intern. Yeah, I was the intern. I volunteered because I was like, yeah. I could be on this show that sure. I love. Yeah. And they put me in a dance belt, which is like a skin toned piece sure. of underwear, so they could oh. make it seem like I was naked. So it's tight. So I walked out, and right when I got out, everyone stopped laughing. Yeah. And then the costumer took me behind the psych wall and was like, <clears throat> "Adjust yourself." 
Um, <laughs> and then I could just hear Eric Wareheim giggling. <laughs> and otherwise, it was silent. There were probably like 40 people. And I didn't laugh about it or talk about it for years. Wow. Until I bumped into like uh, Annie, another intern, years later. And she yeah. was like, do you remember when that happened? And I, was, I could finally laugh about it. Yeah, finally. It was so... Uh, Testicles good, but uh, the full package would have been worse. You got to frame it. Correctly. <laughs> I don't know. It part in my brain at the time, I was like, "That's worse," because it's just like a such single a weird... testicle, just yeah. a ball, yeah, yeah. one ball. Oh, oh yeah. So, know. so there was no uh, symmetry to it. It was no, just... <laughs> no context. Just <laughs> maybe, just that, that maybe that's gross. all you have down there. Yeah. yeah there's fine. no way no anyone liked it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody liked it. <laughs> yeah. All right now, let's hear the high school theater one. Oh, I get two. Does this involve a testicle? It's similar. <laughs> <laughs> but is it the other testicle? Yeah, this time I, I got to balance it out. Yeah. Uh, this time I won't ju- jump straight to the twist, which yeah. is I did like a dance piece and I had I was like oh. the lead dancer's like uh, boy partner and learned a little bit yeah. of ballet and yeah. a lot of theater. Yeah. And uh, it was like opening night, you know, a couple of yeah. people. And when I lifted her up and I wasn't very good at this, yeah. I was supposed to slowly lower her and her leg just ripped my skirt off, my weird little oh, skirt. Yeah. And again, I was wearing only a dance belt, which yeah. was like in the front. It's like a weird little package and the yeah. back is my exposed ass yeah and so i just nervously turned around and yeah. mooned the audience and uh-huh. then turned back and then tried to finish the dance while covering myself um and my <laughs> my my girlfriend's parents were in the front row my best friends were in the back row uh, they made fun of me for years oh boy uh, it sounds like you should just not be wearing dance belts ever, yeah ever. no dance belts. cautionary yeah. tale yeah now, are you wearing one now i'm I, I've, yeah <laughs> to overcome the trauma you to just, overcome it i've just yeah. i wear like dan- i wear man thongs every day yep but now I love it. Now I'm proud of them. That's great. Uh, so how do you think, like, <laughs> these experiences, because, like, I mean, clearly music, you know, plays a big, fa- it's a big factor in how you approach the films. Yeah. And I guess, like, there's some element, uh, I don't know, I, I just, when does it, when do you start to know that you want to be filmmakers? Like, for you separately, I imagine mm-hmm. it was separate until you got to college, right? Yeah. You didn't know each other as kids. No, mm-hmm. no, we met in college. But when did you start, when you fucked up the the music career <laughs> through embarrassment what was the next thing oh my god uh, this is i was just talking about this with my mom because my mom's visiting from out of town um she just flew in yesterday and she was telling me why she thought i should have been a filmmaker from a very young age like before i oh, before knew, you knew yeah. before i knew she yeah. she had a, the seed planted in her head that i would become a filmmaker which is very funny coming from like a chinese immigrant mother like that's the opposite of what you normally um yeah expect. absolutely yeah um but she had like brilliant daughters that, yeah and then oh, she, she yeah. had you it was covered compa- yeah. yeah and then yeah. my comparison she was like something's this boy's different yeah well, this my, kid. my, my are they mom doctor the, are they doctors the sisters they're in the medical profession yeah well mm-hmm. one one went into pharmaceuticals one went into medicine so yeah they so you are, got a break i mean in some ways but also yeah. you know credit to my mom she could tell i kind of struggled at everything in life i was oh, really just, i was never really good at anything and yeah uh, the music thing is just like one uh that was the culmination yeah. of many failures <laughs> you're like finally i'm good at something <laughs> yeah exactly that was the first time i was just really passionate about something yeah. in, a, in a long time and so uh my mother told me when it was time to go to to go to college she's like why don't you try going to film school and uh-huh. i was like <laughs> i laughed at her i'm like mom do you, do you know how hard it is to make it in the film industry yeah. like that's ridiculous i don't yeah. even know how to pick up a camera i know nothing right uh, but she knew like i liked she knew i liked to write stories she knew i loved music and she knew i liked photography like, okay. that was a, like so it makes sense that all those things might combine into filmmaking but it wasn't until um many years later after i'd already like become a professional filmmaker that she told me when i was in third grade yeah um one of her friends who was a, you know very a very christian friend of uh-huh. hers and so she had a lot of friends who were in that world um 
And one of them was a, a prophet, uh, you know, self, self-proclaimed uh, Christian Not recognized prophet. recognized by the church. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea how that works. <laughs> you, have to, you have to apply. It's exactly. a long process yeah, yeah. to be um, an ordained prophet. And mm-hmm. she came up to my mom after like observing me playing for a while. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I, again, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. I was not aware of any of this. And she told my mom, that boy one day is going to be a very, very famous film director. And my mom was like, wait, what? <laughs> Him? And like my mom was saying it yesterday. She's like, she was watching me play and she's yeah. like, you were, you were like really quiet and like awkward and like just really, just looked like a very nervous kid. And, and that was, I was really much like an introverted, yeah. quiet kid growing up and had had no confidence in anything. Like my, had the lowest self-esteem possible. So my mom just kind of like, thought it was interesting and, and filed it away, but never told me about it. Why do you think that the, uh, why do you think your self-esteem was so uh, uh, shattered? Well, I mean, it, it goes back to... Um, was anyone hard on you? It sounds like your mom was okay. Oh, was, your, was your dad <laughs> I mean, a pain you came in the ass? You came well, out looking pretty weird. Like, I mean, there's, day one. There's, there's so many things that I've been, <laughs> I've been uh, unpacking with my therapist. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that one of the biggest things was the fact that I, I, I was undiagnosed with ADHD. And I had no idea. And so one of the weird things that happens, uh, you know, I got I got diagnosed like five years ago as an okay. adult now. What are the symptoms of that? I mean, it's different for everyone. Um, but the, the biggest thing is we, we have... Pr- we have something wrong with our prefrontal cortex, which right. which is basically our dis, our executive function, yeah. you know, our ability to um, have self control, to be able to regulate emotions, to be yeah. able to you know, there's so many different things sure. that tie to it. Yeah. Um, but for for me. Um, I just never could finish anything. And and because of that, I looked at myself as a failure. Oh. And, and when you're undiagnosed, you're, you're comparing yourself to everyone else who just um, seems like they're functioning normally. And, yeah. and, and you feel like there's something wrong with you. You have no idea why you can't keep up. Do you know, like, because like for me, maybe, I'm not saying I have ADHD, but I'm going to try to yeah. connect. Yeah, yeah. It's relatable. Like if yeah. I don't finish something, it's usually when you don't finish things, you don't risk success or failure in a way. Totally. It is. It's. It's a lot of it is tied to like this emotional sensitivity. Um, huh. Like. Like. Like a lot of studies nowadays are people are realizing prote- um, procrastination have has less to do with laziness and more to do with like yeah how fear sen- yeah how yeah yeah how feel for you want to protect your 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 weird little right ego. if you can say I'm yeah. not done yet you don't have to present anything right yeah <laughs> and and so like the the funny thing about ADHD is is. All these things are things that everyone does. Like neurotypical people have all of these these traits. The yeah. only problem is ADHD people. It's constant and and every day. And so it, so like hooking up with him enabled you to finish stuff because he would make you a hundred percent. Yes. No. That's. I mean, you, you you got it. You hit it on the head. The key to success is find a talented person <laughs> with undiagnosed you. ADHD, convince them to finish some stuff, and take half the credit. Yeah, exactly. Genius. <laughs> what a crazy. hustle. Yeah. You're a genius. It's so wild. You hear that, people who are. <laughs> marginally creative just attach yourself yeah, but it sounds easier than it is so but wait what's yeah. your but when so when do you start well let's go to you in terms of when you're growing up and you know you had the the theater fail mm-hmm. but was there a point where visual arts was something that you focused on yeah i was kind of stumbling around it all the time in high um, school yeah i was always kind of interested in a million things yeah um but you didn't have adhd i didn't um but i think i i do think i've always been attracted to weird people and love Tim making, and Eric. making stuff with them yeah. or convincing them to finish it or just like a very collaborative. Oh, really? So but like, right. I do think there's something, yeah, like a track record of all of my But friends. what do you think of yourself? 
I think I think I had an overabundance of uh, a confidence at times. Oh, like really? I was a real. I, I, the first time I watched Rushmore, I was yeah. like, "This isn't that funny." And then, like <laughs> years later, I watched it and I was like, <laughs> "That was me." Yeah, I right. was a little piece of yeah. shit in high school, yeah. like flirting with his teachers, yeah. like getting in fights with Precocious. the administrators. Yeah. yeah, too many extracurriculars, tons of self confidence. I'm oh. gonna build an aquarium. Yeah, right. So you annoyed adults totally, mm-hmm. and yeah. my classmates. Oh, yeah. so but did you have friends? I did, but I wasn't. Sometimes I wasn't interested in making friends. Other yes, times, right. you know, and I was like, I was like, I'm here to learn. Oh, really? Quit that guy. To, yeah, and then other, you know, it depended on the class, but uh, yeah. So you're both kind of you have these odd dispositions that that don't they don't complement each other until they come together and it makes mm-hmm. sense. But then you don't really start pursuing. You don't do any short films or anything until you get to college. No, actually, I, I ended up going to the University of Connecticut for a year. And where's I, that? New, New Haven. Um, that's in uh, Stores, Connecticut. It's uh-huh. in, in the middle of nowhere. It's like basically is it spelled like a store. S T O R R. Is it one of those colleges that people that didn't succeed in high school go to? Yeah, basically. It's a party college. It's a party college. That's what it is. But I did not succeed in high school, so you know, at least one person went that way. So it's sort of like one of those colleges, like like when I was. My all through high school, I just was I, I kind of fucked off, yeah. And then I panicked the last year because I realized maybe I do want to go to college. Wow. And then by the time I decide that, it's sort of like we got to find one that'll take you. Yeah. yeah, yeah was yeah, that yeah. that story? This was definitely my. Okay. Uh, well, actually, it was the opposite. I was doing really well. Yeah. I was a high functioning person. Oh, you but, did but, well, but, but struggling. It was like everything. Oh, so was, grades were fine. Um, grades were fine, but it's because I. You know, I actually had gray hair in high school because of how much stress I was. Does that just go away or are you coloring it, it? It went away. Weird. I, yeah, yeah. I, I had gray hair in high school. I just did not sleep well. I had, I, I was like, honestly, like very depressed, but it's because I was just struggling to get A's because yeah. that's what- It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And then my last year I gave up. I was like, I, I, I'm too tired. And like, I got F's and stuff like that on my report card. I like completely- um, blew up my 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 college chances. But were your parents concerned? How do you not know you have a, a mental problem uh, if you're ex- uh, experiencing these signs and stuff? Your parents didn't send you to doctors and stuff. I mean, no. I mean, immigrant parents don't really have that in their like DNA. Yeah, yeah. Their tool toolkit. They, they don't just they suck don't, it up, pull yeah. it together. They just they just they just like hey you you. you you come for me, and if I could do it, then that means you could do it too, oh, no. right? It's very much like that. <laughs> An and, appendage. And and the funny thing about ADHD is like oftentimes, at least in my generation, it was the men or the boys who would get diagnosed because they would basically be running around, acting up, and like that's how their um, that's how their ADHD kind of manifested. Whereas yeah. oftentimes in in women and in, in little girls, it's a completely different thing where they're kind of quietly suffering. And funnily enough, I when I read about um, yeah, women's experience with ADHD. Yeah. That's that was my experience as well. I don't know, understand how it happened that way, but mm. now a lot of because you're a soy boy. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. I did have. You know, this, this is what's funny about this. I ate a lot of tofu when I was growing up. So yeah, tofu there, rules. There is something real oh, to yeah. this. But I'm a proud soy boy who is now diagnosed with ADHD because yeah, because I think in a lot of ways I was the quiet, suffering kind of person. Right. Oh um, wow. But but anyways, what ended up happening was I went to UConn. I thought I was going to go to business business school. Yeah. So I was taking accounting, I was yeah. taking economics, and I was just miserable. It was like the worst year of my life. I, I just did not connect with anyone there. I, I barely made any friends. And, um, oh, it's and, the so, worst. and so I spent a year doing this and uh, I realized, oh, I the only thing I can do is watch movies. And so I just watched a movie every night for a year. What was your movies? Who'd you oh, like? Oh my God. I mean, the, here's the thing. I grew up um, not really 
educated or film yeah, literate sure. in that world. Yeah. So I just had to play catch up. I was just yeah. watching all the classics and I was watching all the, the contemporary stuff at so the time. So you found a list? You found a... Yeah. That's, I mean, it was great because at the time, the um, torrenting wasn't really a thing, but yeah. within college campuses, there was a local network where you could just download things really quickly. Okay. So I was just downloading whatever the, camp, the UConn campus had at the time. Um, Do you remember which one blew your mind? The first one... It's very fun. The first one that actually made me feel like maybe I could become a filmmaker oh, yeah. was actually, it was uh, watching Ryan Johnson's Brick. Oh, yeah. Um, just watch it. Yeah. Uh, because he did that movie for like, uh, I don't know, $20,000. How much? I forget how right. much. Right. And it, it all took place, uh, you know, on the campus. On of the campus. It. it was just so accessible. But at the same time, if it had there was such a specific vision in the tone, in the writing, in the world. Did you tell him that? I did, yes. I had I had the chance to tell him that a, a couple months ago, which was kind of amazing. But I, I after I, I watched the movie, I went out and bought it. I went out and found the script. I found the uh, huh. the novella he wrote because uh-huh. before he wrote a script, Ryan actually wrote a novella. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of studied it, and I was like, oh, um, this I I don't know. If the rest of my life is going to be like what it is here at UConn, I don't want to live. Right. So I might as well take a risk and jump into film school. I'll I'll, I'll finally listen to my mom and, and go to film school. And where'd you end up? Uh, Emerson College, and that's where I met the other Daniel. And your um, and your journey to Emerson was just straight out of high school. You didn't have a year off or a bad year at another no. college. Mm-mm. Yeah, I went straight in. So you met you met sophomore year. No, we met my senior year, like oh, wow. close to the end. So. You're older. I'm older, but just by one year. Yeah. Um, and we really didn't become close until post-college. Um, I remember Emerson. I mean, I, I went to BU after I went to the, the oh, other yeah. school. The yeah. one that, <laughs> but, like, I had I – was, I was undergrad for six years, but I knew a crew. Like, some of my peers, like David Cross. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, was there. And, uh, I mean, like, I think Dennis Leary was teaching there. And There's Eddie like a, Brill was teaching. There was a stand-up Oh, course. I took an Eddie Brill class you once. You did? Uh-huh. He came in and did, like, a little workshop, and That's I did stand-up. Right. Did a little yeah. shtick? Uh-huh. We just met uh, Jennifer Coolidge, and she was there as well. Really? Yeah. I don't remember her. Yeah. She must have been there around the same time as those guys. Mm, yeah, yeah. John Innes was at Emerson. Laura mm-hmm. Keitlinger. I don't know how many of them finished, but it was a different- <laughs> That's what I always like to point out to people because I hate advertising yeah. uh, overpriced film schools yeah. <laughs> is that like there's a bunch of incredible dropouts from Emerson. Oh, totally. I don't just know like, that. I don't know who finished really, but I just yeah. knew when I was in college, it was it was basically one building. Yeah. Like I, by right. the time you, because now there's a, it's part different. of it's down on the commons, right? Yeah. There's yeah, a, most is, of it. It's oh, all of, it's all right off the Boston Commons. There are these slick sci-fi buildings that cost Yeah, no, it was money. like this one old building mm-hmm. over off Beacon Street, I think, or Commonwealth. It was right near Kenmore Square, a couple cool. blocks down. Yeah. Right? Yeah, weird. So you <laughs> got there when it was uh, high-tech. It was mid-transition. Oh, I was okay. like, I, my, my dorm was one of the old ones, and then they were moving everybody mm-hmm. into the more expensive ones. So you were down by Kenmore? I was on like Ish. 100 Beacon Street at first. Yeah. And then they, like all of it's off the commons now. I think. Like, and, but do you um, like? I it's weird with Boston. I never really feel like going back. Really? Oh, I I have a, a soft spot for Boston. I really love. We got that to city. go briefly last year on the yeah for, for tour the, of this movie. And we went on like a long walk, like down. Well, that's and nice, like, right? Yeah. Cool. I, I guess because so much of what 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 made it Boston when I was there is gone. Totally. Mm, you know, sense. like, right, because I'm in the 80s. Right. And Kenmore Square was still this gritty, weird, shitty place. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't wow. even know if Pizza Pad's there anymore. I don't, I don't know Pizza so. Pad, yeah. That, <laughs> so that's probably gone. gone. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's true. All my favorite places, yeah, are, are pretty much gone. Yours too? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, right? It's just They're just erased. Yeah. So that makes it a little, but it's pretty. It's a pretty town. Totally. It is. It's a manageable city, sure. which I love. Yeah. College yeah. town. So when you meet 
What is that? What's that moment? Is that depicted in a movie anywhere? Was it like we, we knew we <laughs> no. knew right away no. that we would be a genius team? Quite, <laughs> yeah, we always say it was, it was the complete opposite where we did like, but it was like very good rom-com material, oh, yeah. you know, where yeah. like, you know, when they meet, they hate each other. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Lots of judgment. I mean, uh-huh. look, like we just gave you our backgrounds. We were just so different in every way. And yeah, so right. it, like, it was very hard for us to even imagine being friends, let yeah, alone right. If I was Max Fisher in class, who were you? <laughs> like, who's the like... Well, here's the thing. Like, uh, like uh, I'm, I'm sorry. This is so, my everything I'm saying is so like sad and dopey. But like, yeah. growing up, like I used to, I used to lament the fact that I always felt like a side character in every movie. You know, <laughs> when people were like, "Oh, uh, which hero are you?" I'm like, "Oh, I'll, I'll just be Robin." You know, I, like <laughs> right. I, I was, I would never really felt like the protagonist growing <laughs> right. up. So it's, 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 it is funny. Things have changed, obviously now. But totally. I'm trying to think of a of a movie that when it's like that, representation matters. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a big part of it. But totally. you're, but you're, you're like, a sophomore. He's almost a senior. Like, why are you even in? each other's orbit to initially yeah. he was a junior i was a senior okay and it was a it was a 3d animation course that we oh, both, okay so it was and a the class. funny thing is we both kind of uh got to kind of turned off by the film program and yeah. by film How classes so? why uh for different reasons but like uh what were yours mine was like i was making tons of movies with my comedy friends and then who were they uh i was in like a couple different comedy troops. Do uh, I know any of them? Yeah, one of them's called Swollen Monkey Showcase, but we wow. changed it to Swomo. But a bunch of them have come out here and. Sunita uh, knows you guys, exactly. right? Exactly. So Sunita was, Sunita was in, in the troupe with me. Yeah. yeah, and she was in Glow. She's great. And yeah. she's in that famous video you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so she was there. Anyone Sunita else? Sunita and some of her friends are uh-huh. like Tally Medell and Eleanor Pienta, and they're in like a dance are they out comedy troupe. Oh, that's right. They're yeah. all like East Coasters. Yeah. A bunch of comedy writers. Uh, like, I, I came in right after Dave Horwitz and uh, a, b- a bunch of that generation kind of had just graduated. Yeah. Um, my buddy Justin Becker is still out here writing. A bunch of them. Had yeah. Like, Did you like, use a lot of them other than have you used people that you went to school with? Yeah. Did that work out? Um, a, a mixed bag. They kind of come and go. Um, yeah. yeah. A lot of uh, one of our most famous short films was kind of like co-written and starring like a ton of my college friends. Yeah. Interesting Ball is sort of a who's who of like. Friends. Of, of Emerson po- folks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So why did you have a problem with the film program? Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, yeah, I didn't like spending a whole semester making one bad movie, which is what... I Too could, traditional. It seemed like, yeah, and like just talking about it, yeah, I, just, I wasn't getting much out of it, and I was getting so much more out of um, kind of more specific courses and also interdisciplinary classes and... Uh, and the internet. So I switched and majors. Internet, yeah. I was like an experimental media major. Oh, that's good. It, well, that, that that worked out. Yeah, I mean, I could just take whatever classes I wanted. <laughs> but, but like, it's interesting when you talk about at that, when did you guys graduate? Uh, 2010 for me. And oh, nine. Yeah, because yeah. I have to assume that the, the shift into realizing that young people could learn almost anything mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. how do you teach? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it almost seems like they would have to teach in a classical way, you know, uh, or a traditional way in terms of references because that's something that no one is seeking out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a lot. Of, personally, I feel like my my favorite style of teaching is is more just guiding. You yeah. know, it's, it's 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 recognizing the things in your students that they're excited about and just pointing them in the right direction. Um, one of the things I realized early on going to film school was that while everyone else in my class was sort of competing against each other, yeah, 
I was watching everything online and be like, no, this is this is my competition. Whoever's on the front page of YouTube, whoever's on the front page of Vimeo, like right. this is, these are the people that I really need to be on the same level. Uh, otherwise, I'm not going to be able to survive in this industry. And so I kind of like pulled away from classwork and just started to yeah study what was happening online, and um, it. It, it, I do think it has come true. It, like every any any of those people who I was um, admiring from afar in college, a lot of them have now all you know built really good careers. Mm-hmm. So between you pushing back on the traditional nature of how things were being taught and deciding your own curriculum, mm-hmm. and you competing with. Uh, YouTube people, yeah, the whole world. And yeah. he had a similar world. thing where he, or but his thing was that he just realized he didn't like directing and wanted to just maybe become an animator. You yeah. did, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, because what the because of your social skills or your innate shyness yeah. or the yeah, all of undi- the above. undiagnosed ADHD. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it comes down to just feeling the weight of every crew member, every yeah. every everyone who says yes to a project of yours. That's a huge responsibility, and you worry. And yeah, it's a, it's it's incredibly stressful. So like, do you have like a is it like an overly do you take on the concerns that you make up in your head for everybody? Are you like like overly <laughs> empathetic in a way like you can't get through a day knowing like oh I don't know if that gaffer's happy. I I mean it 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 depends. It, okay. but I mean it sometimes it just takes one thing to kind of send me down down a spiral. But yeah, I would say I'm, and that's, I, I and that's the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean exactly. <laughs> yeah. the, the, I mean one of the several funny th- spirals. Exactly. One of the funny things about this movie is like yeah. we put it out in the world, and so many different people who have depression or anxiety or have ADHD, even though we never explicitly say any of those words in the film, they come up to me and say, "Oh my God, thank you. This is what my brain feels like all the time." Mm. Um, but that and, was unanticipated. It was not the agenda of the movie. But before we get to that, how do you guys decide to pair up? Yeah, it was – so I was, like, intensely collaborative in college, just constantly making, like – Stuff. Stuff with friends. And uh, essentially, we we had a summer job that we loved where we were summer camp counselors uh, supervising kids while they make movies. The two of you? Yeah. Or there was a bunch of us. So my friend – So it was an Emerson gig. uh, They reached the campus and said, let's go recruit them. It was over on, like, Harvard campus, but it was the New York Film Academy. Okay. And I hate product placing all these organizations I don't really uh, endorse. (laughs) Yeah, okay. No no one's uh, writing them down. Yeah, they keep doing it. I keep meeting kids. They're like, I went to Emerson because of you. And I'm like – Oh, are you okay? How much yeah. debt are you yeah. in? Oh. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, but it worked out for me. It was changed my life. But, yeah. um, but anyway, we were jealous of the kids and made a, a short film after work. And then when we put it online, uh, neither of us expected it to go that well. But it got like Vimeo staff picked, and there was it so. Was, this is when you were camp counselors. Yeah, yeah. and so it kind of like, and there was something about combining visual effects and comedy that worked and that's what it was you know the short was just like a silly like face swappy vfxy okay like right second joke no, was movie. there a story to it it was just a joke it's about uh us playing on a swing set and then the swing set gets caught midair yeah oh. it's called swingers and you're up there <laughs> and yeah. you just caught up there and then he swings into my face and we swap faces it's like and we it, scream the end there was Brilliant. no no but thought. it's sort of yeah about you know it's sort of like autobiographical all oh, right it's us becoming each other yeah, yeah. it's about the origin of daniels yeah. it's really there perfect. you go but, but literally we, we just had <laughs> a camera and it was 2 a.m. and we came up with the idea on the spot just mostly so I could teach him After Effects because he wanted to learn After Effects. What are After Effects? It really is autobiographical, you know? What do you mean? It's just like two guys playing around Uh and then 
we they 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 switch bodies. They, they become each they other. Become one. One. They become one. So yeah, you guys yeah. were just goofing around, and then yeah. they became one. Oh my god! Origin story. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Go see it. Oh my god! Go so, see the origin story. It's called <laughs> Swingers, and I've never seen Swingers. <laughs> I still haven't seen the, the movie. Swingers. The, the movie, original. Yeah. yeah, it's our remake of Swingers by. And then, what was the first steps to collaboration after the origin story? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything we've ever done is just a, a series of like accidents that yeah. that that brought that put us a little bit closer to our goal of becoming filmmakers. So, yeah. like, um, I think Shiner was bored in LA because he had graduated a year earlier, and he was really anxious, and so he wanted to make something. So. You moved out here, and you got lost, or you just frustrated? Um, I was just. I was doing okay, but I didn't like any of my jobs, and then I was just making things on the side, just throwing paint Wait, at the wall. This one you were at Tim and Eric? Um, this was after that internship, oh. and I, I got hired like every once in a while for part-time gigs there. I liked that yeah. a lot, but then I was like a runner at a VFX house where I made tea and filled parking meters. And Oh, that's terrible. But it's interesting about, about Tim and Eric is that, you know, there's something that informs you know both of your features that is – abstract absurd you know that something that relies on on just commitment to ideas as opposed mm-hmm. to narrative mm-hmm. and you know it's a certain type of mind that can really get into Tim and Eric totally <laughs> because that whole world and i'm i'm always impressed with it. it it does something with not only genres but formats um uh you know and it it pays a lot of respect to uh uh, you know, public access and just there's a tone to it that totally. moves through a lot of different worlds of of media. Yeah. So like it kind of you grew up loving that then. I it was something I discovered late in life, but it like broke my brain. I didn't, right. I didn't like it at first, and then like which is the best kind of art where like you as you learn to love it, you grow and change as a person. Yes. And so I was like, what's the wait? But there's no punchline. Right. What? It's just weird, and that's the joke. And, yes. Uh, and then once I worked there, I realized that like. Uh, my hot take on that show is that it's like one of the it's rare that a comedy show lets the editors make jokes yeah and with that show they would just collect material and then let the editors just like do whatever they wanted as long as it made them laugh yeah and and so like instead of being like hey here's the script hit the punchlines right here's the coverage right like the editors would turn it would it would turn it into a completely new thing. Wow. And all these people who edited there have gone on to make incredible stuff. Well, they had all um, that freedom. And that's, yeah. yeah, it's such a different approach to comedy. And you were, you, were you fans of theirs or were you more animation guy? Uh, I was an animation guy. I mean, I loved Tim and Eric, but yeah. it was not it was not quite as a, a defining discovery for me. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I come from animation. Most of my, most of the people I, I fell in love with during that time are like, yeah, indie short film animators. Yeah. One yeah. of whom you literally fell in love with. Right. Yeah. I actually, uh, I married one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but like a lot of those people have now become really like good friends of ours. And it's, it's, it's very cool to see them all do, like, you know, one of them actually got nominated for an Oscar last year. Mm-hmm. Another one has a TV show or used to have a t- TV show on Cartoon Network. It's like very fun to see mm-hmm. um, all of them. So when do you start working together? In terms of making money or getting yeah. jobs. Oh, sorry. Or, or right. as a, so, yeah. So, um, he was bored. He wanted to do yeah. a music video for fun. Yeah. Neither of us had any um, interest. In, uh, oh, and you came out here and you were like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. yeah he's like, hey, I'm doing a, a music video. Do you want to help me shoot it? Do yeah. you want to help me edit it? Do yeah. you want to help me do you do, want to be in it? Do you want to be in it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, slowly the the um, responsibilities built up until finally we're like, like, oh. accidentally co-directed it. Yeah. I guess we're co-directing this now. What, for who? It's, oh. called F, it's called Underwear by the band FM Belfast, which yeah. is like a dance band from Iceland. Okay. And uh, how'd you get that gig? It, I um 
I made it for free, and I emailed them being like, hey, I'm making a video. Do, will you post it? And they were like, I guess. That album came out a year and a half ago, but I guess. It was not a gig. You yeah. know, it was basically okay. a fan video. Okay, you know? yeah. Um, but it turned out uh, good and, and got passed around in these kind of like internet oh, circles. And then, yeah. And then we got offered to pitch on another band's video, and then they actually hired us and paid us. And, yeah. Um, and then you did the famous one? And then oh, that, that like was a couple years, years later. later. Yeah, that was a few years later. But I wonder we had yeah. a we had a, a slow motion build up. But you're learning that. how to do things. Exactly. You're learning how to work with crews. You're learning how yeah. to it was very much execute ideas. That's that was the best film, film school. school. Yeah, because yeah. what, what ended up happening was like the first video it was just like us two and yeah. one person with a camera. Right. And then the next video we added a producer and a production designer. And right. And the next shoot we added a, you know it's so every single. Um, project, we would add a few more people and just kind of learn how it all works like intimately uh, in a way that we could really um, understand how to harness the potential of each group member's yeah. position or whatever. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that was sort of our our, our intention moving through the music video world is well, just how, to learn. How does the co-directing responsibilities work with you guys? I mean, what do you, you know, how, uh, you, you have a, a DP or cinematographer mm -hmm. that you probably have used a lot. Yep, yeah. Larkin Sable, yep. And, and so what is the, how do you guys work? It kind of, it, there's like some generalizations that we have collected, but it also changes project to project. Yeah. And like the, my favorite thing to say is that like just whoever's most passionate to do something takes the lead on that. Okay. You know, um, and then we try to fill in holes. And but do you have strengths? Like obviously totally. animation is where he's coming from. Right. And with you, is it about timing or what do you, what like what do you both seek the other's advice for when a question comes up about what you're shooting. Mm. I love like logistically figuring out how to pull something off. Right. Like that's the gag. How are we going to do it? Yeah. So like talking to art department and figuring right. out like the stunt of it all, but right. also like producer brain, like trying to crack the puzzle of like yeah. the shoot's yeah. impossible. How are we going to do it in a day? And he, He's about efficiency and pragmatism. And, yeah. and, 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 or and realism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pragmatism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that's a, syn <laughs> that's a synonym. Um, <laughs> And then I, I, I'm, 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 I, f I feel more aesthetically inclined. Like I love music, I yeah. love animation, I love design. You know, yeah. I was, um, I was the the main graphic, one of the main graphics designers at Emerson when I was there. I was yeah. like the guy who did all the like motion graphics and things like that. Um, and so a lot of that stuff comes um, from me. But also I, we've taught each other so much that like there's a lot more overlap now. Right. Sure. Like okay. I used to work with actors more, and right. like I like studied acting in school. Like, yeah. And. Uh, and then that is not the case now. We totally like share those responsibilities. Yeah. Like, but it's, it's like you, know, you tell her. I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> Sometimes that's, that's happened a couple, maybe once or we twice. We do sort of <laughs> form relationships with actors and try not to just like bombard them with like twice the energy. Mm -hmm. You know, be like, right. two directors coming shouting things at you. Right. Um, but uh, but we both really enjoy that part of the process and um, and. Yeah, so it's not like I'm the actor guy. Right, at all. right. You, and you have a shorthand, I imagine. You understand. There's a a bed, uh, a sort of a, a bedrock of understanding that goes on set at this point. Yes, yes. And so, what, lead me, just walk me through the first feature because, like, that that sort of sets a tone for you guys in a way in terms of the fact that you're, you're that story is there but secondary in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. I think what we realized early on when our manager was putting us, pushing us into all these general meetings around Hollywood was that um, 
we didn't belong in some ways. It felt very um, funny. We'd go on these first dates with studios yeah. and we'd pitch pitch the ideas that we were interested in and mostly get like blank stares. Was that Swiss Army Man? Um, so that became one of our so we kind of developed this style of pitching crazy things because we got a kick out of them yeah, being yeah. weirded out you yeah. know they'd be like oh any IP you like and then we just pitch like bonkers things yeah. uh, and uh, and like unproducible sequel ideas and stuff <laughs> and so like yeah. so Sorry Man was like an idea that like was genuinely interesting to yeah. us but also one that we just I got a, a lot of joy out of making people uncomfortable when I pitched it. You know? What is what? How would you? What is the one-liner on Swiss Army Man? Like, if you were to say, "This is what this movie's about." Yeah, I mean, in the meeting, we'd be like, "Oh, we have this movie that starts with a guy stranded on a desert island, and he finds a farting corpse and rides it <laughs> like a jet ski to freedom, but ultimately becomes this like journey of identity as this you know amnesiac corpse like uh -huh. learns about life and what that means, and uh, yeah. maybe they fall in love." Right. And they were like, "I'm sorry." What? And we're like, but he builds all the props out of garbage and it's acapella music. And like, it's gonna be what? beautiful though. It's a fart drama and you're gonna cry at the end. And and they and they'd be like, Okay, can are you fucking with me? You know? And we'd be like, a little. But then but then one day one of the producers actually leaned in and said, Have you guys written this yet? He's like, Do you actually wanna make this? And we're like, Yes. And he's like, Make it. Um and uh and make then the, make the farting corpse movie. Yeah, exactly. and then we had a lot of pushback and a lot of cheerleaders over the years. But it, it became, I think we had written a different script before Swiss Army Man, but that was one that felt like no one else is ever going to make this movie. Oh, you uh, you um, didn't have another script before that. Before or? that, we wrote this one that was kind of like an action comedy. Oh, but I was kind of like it didn't. It was something someone else could have written. Sure, you know. Oh, right. Um, and there so was that drives you guys a little bit to do something that yeah. no, never been done before. I mean, it, one of the things that stuck with me, I forget who told me this, but yeah. in film school, at one point I heard the line, to be successful, you either have to be the best or you have to be the first. And in my head, I'm like, well, I'm never going to be the best. So right. Might as well go be for that first. second one. Right, yeah, that's pretty easy. Um, and what I found that it's like getting the Guinness World Record for you know how many Mentos can you <laughs> longest fart on screen exactly with cats exactly like, exactly. But what, what's been really great about that is because we've been finding success with our creativity, we've actually been slowly practicing and working on our craft. And and I'm not saying we are becoming the best, but we are becoming better. And the idea of becoming the best of some, at something um, it doesn't really drive us, but it's fun to see how it's naturally happening. Right, know, the sure. fact that we're here talking to you now is like really absurd um, in the middle of an awards campaign. It's like hilarious. Yeah. We were not trying to become the best, but like just the act of just creating over and over and over Yeah, and sometimes again. the you know cosmic timing is real. Yes, yeah, 100%. And, yes. and you know, oh things fall into place. Yeah. But like with Swiss Army Man, like all these things that you were just saying, that was actually your conception of it. You didn't backload the philosophical idea of that, that you knew that ultimately this was absurd, but you were going to be dealing with ideas around self, identity, and 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 philosophical ideas like that? Totally. It started as like a one-off joke and then that we would never make or you know, yeah. that would maybe one of maybe be one of our two minute short films that sure. we throw online. And then it wasn't until like the amnesia corpse yeah. learning about life concept that we started coming up with like, oh, we could put everything we're feeling about life in here. We could like talk and 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 the idea of starting a movie in such a crazy way and then coming at real themes excited us. And so because you was, guys were young guys and you oh, were yeah. dealing with a lot of issues around, uh, you know, who you were in the world, I imagine. Totally. And we, when we first started writing it, we actually had just done a, a music video for Tenacious D 
and uh, I was like such a big fan from childhood. Yeah. And we were like, what if we, what if we wrote this part for Jack Black and he sang it and it was a musical? You know, how yeah. cool would that be? And then as we wrote it, we're like, uh, we're like, all these themes are about, you know, twenty year olds. You know, like we yeah. had written a script about ourselves on accident about like weird boys who don't feel like they fit into society's expectations. It's so funny because Jack and, is like a guy that knows exactly who he is. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Completely. So it, it, so it was like, it was such a fun inspiration yeah. to chase and then we accidentally oh. yeah, made it very personal yeah. and, and then we're like, oh, we need... We need someone. Well, we that's, need a well, that's like interesting us. because that's what drives that movie. Because the comedy, in some ways, though it's never been seen before, it's it's broad in a way. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, like you, no one's ever carried a fart joke that far. <laughs> you know, but but you know, farts are are, are always reliable. Totally, mm-hmm. but and it's, be, just, it's all physical comedy. It's like yeah, so but, much falling down, and but because know. it was so informed by your own search. Like there's a humanity to it, and also the 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 odd nature of how you shot. There, there's something grotesque and beautiful about you know him writing Radcliffe. You know, and, totally. And so there, somehow or another, it doesn't come off as shallow or just uh, uh, a, a a means to to use these jokes to make these extreme weird jokes. Totally. Yeah, in it, some ways, like. Uh, I really hated the fact that we were making a movie about farting. You know, like it made me so uncomfortable, <laughs> mm-hmm. and because of that, that made that you know kept me up at night most most nights, and uh, and pulled out all these themes. Yeah, and pulled everything <laughs> else out of it, and so the film becomes a film about shame and and what it does to you. And and, and in the end, a lot of what um, informed the movie was that experience at college, that one year that I was miserable by myself. Yeah, sure. So much of that experience kind of just fell into the movie and so it it, it was um it's almost like we made the movie in in spite of the farts but like but not because but, of them you just could, of, but yeah. you, there's no way like no matter how you felt about farts that you were gonna let go of that device of using the farting guy as a jet ski i mean oh, i would yeah. imagine that no, that was always when, when the, there was ever the a core. doubt you're yeah. sort of like we're not we have to that's right. also what paul dano said was the reason why he said yes he read yeah, the he first like, yeah, five yeah, pages and said this is the, i'm gonna make this movie yeah he's like i don't want to see a different i don't want to see another actor do that <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be so jealous um but as a writer it was like we dug ourselves into this impossible hole mm. by starting the movie from there yeah, yeah. and then it was kind of like it forced us to learn and try hard and write drafts because we're like we got to get out of this whole uh uh-oh we started that movie why why did we do this (laughs) well do you like do you think when you're when you're doing rewrites like that is it is it bit to bit or are you thinking about the whole movie always do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. because there's because i can see like in in the new movie and in that movie that there are bits yeah that are pieces that you have to execute because the comedy's so you know, big and and and, and choreographed. Mm-hmm. So, are you thinking in terms of story? Or are you thinking in terms of like, well, this bit's a problem. Yeah, I mean, all of the above. But... Yeah, we you, we kind of have to bounce back and forth often. Yeah. I, I, like I love thinking big structure and, and thinking about what we're trying to do right. overall. Um, right. That feels really important for a movie, both of these movies that we've yeah. done. Um, but that gets exhausting, and the thing that really gets you excited are the bits, right? right? And yeah. so we you collect a bucket of bits while you're working on the 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 backbone of the film and if you're lucky the bits start to fall into place um, right that's not always but you have case. a lot of surplus bits oh, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> always so many now did some old some bits from the uh swiss army man make it into everything everywhere oh that's a good I question wonder if any did um not that come to mind but yeah. i mean rakakuni 
There were, I mean, but that's just more just a ratatouille joke. But we yeah. did have like pulling on hair, weird kind of. Oh, there's right. a lot of body humor. Yeah. Um, in both, obviously. Uh, but yeah, a lot of them we just never made. Um, or sometimes we try to sneak them into short form content and stuff. So I mean, Swiss Army Man puts you on the map, right? And, there, and people were like, "Well, this is weird and good." <laughs> Some people <laughs> it put us on a new map, you yeah. know, because we had we had been in this kind of commercial music video world, right? And it definitely suddenly kind of like shifted us over into like a world where people were like, "So that one video, the one for the 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 falling through uh, the mm-hmm. turned down for what? Yeah, yeah. Turn- you're not a DJ Snake fan. You don't know him I, by I, name. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just old. <laughs> no, I'm yeah." But it's a great name. You should really DJ Snake. No, it's he's so weird. Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, it was one of those things where clearly, whatever the song implied, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, you just created this energy that you you kind of blew up. It was it was there was a a sort of beautiful violence to the whole thing on all levels. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, and I get people love it. Yeah, it was kind of like we we heard the song and it's called Turn Down for What? And then it's about like not turning down for anything. Yeah. And so we sort of just like we had been working on a screenplay and we were just like, what if we just let our id go? What's the most like unhinged just id thing? Right. Because that felt like the assignment from the song. Yeah. Uh, and there was something so unexpectedly thrilling about doing that as a, as a filmmaker and turns out as an audience to just see like this is just – unhinged for yeah but also challenging yourself to do that mm-hmm. you know pays off in the movies yeah. i mean for whatever for you just to say let's do an id thing and then push the envelope mm-hmm. you know with all this sexuality and violence and weirdness and mm-hmm. contortions i mean it must have been exciting for the actors to just cut loose like that oh yeah and but it crew, also yeah. it, but it also sort of gives you a parameter to work within like if we've done that successfully then you can sort of do anything right it totally got swiss army man financed because like you know financiers would be like this script sounds insane on paper but your last music video was a hit and it also is insane so okay i guess guess people like this stuff (laughs) you know like uh but that that has always been the case everything we've done i I always you know like helped the next thing get made yeah it helps the next thing get made but my Mm -hmm. my mother has to go through this journey where she's like why did you make this thing it's so (laughs) weird and like what did you do and then she watches the you know general consensus form and people like it you know like turn down for what the first thing she said to me after watching it was like daniel i think you need to read more books you know (laughs) um but then you know a year later we're at the grammys because it got nominated for a grammy and so now my mother's like just having to just completely contort her vision of what the world is what art is what 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 who i am as a filmmaker interesting um and 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 so that's been really fun to watch as a journey is watching the world figure out how to uh, what to do with the world through your mother yeah yeah now now how does does your mother factor into everything everywhere all at once I mean, uh, completely. Yeah. This. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do, do we do we want to get into it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, I mean, it just seems uh, like that like that relate that dynamic. Oh, totally. Yeah. We we realized while writing it that like uh, the character of Jobu, the kind of villain, um, is like uh, the character version of all of our movies. Yeah. You know, and that the, the the Evelyn is our parents. Yeah. And it's just like this is this weird unhinged thing, and then the parent is like, what? 
why? What yeah. is, why is wrong my with you? What are you like this? Yeah. doing? You know, like yeah. she is the the weird music video. She's the, yeah. she, she's the part of she's an archetype of you guys. Exactly. Uh, especially yeah. our work, which yeah, our, the you work, know, work right. tends to be our weirdest version of ourselves that we're like, this, yeah. is right. in, this is in me, you know. Yeah, but it's like every parent's nightmare to to see their kid go out into the world and, and represent things until they yeah, and just represent something that they they did not think was a part of them. So, yeah. Like, you know, my dad actually showed turned out for what to his coworkers and they were like, are you embarrassed? Are you, <laughs> you know, and like, so grappling with those ideas, the, the movie is a movie yeah. about our mm-hmm. parents in, in some small ways, learning to expand their minds to be able to include all of the messy, unexpected parts of us. And, and about the kid yeah. learning to give the parents some space and grace and, yeah. and being like, so this is, this is the, easy, but know? this is the story. Mm. Like, you know, what you start with with this movie is it, there is a story there. Mm, and it's yeah. pretty basic about, you know, parents and kids and about the strain that parents' relationships go through, male and female, you, yeah. you know, roles, and then the immigrant experience. Like, you know, you could, if you pitched the movie without any of what you guys do, <laughs> they'd be like, well, that's a, that sounds like an interesting emotional movie. Oh, totally. Thank you. Yeah, Maybe people, we'll do that on the next one. <laughs> I mean, people ask us, like, how did you pitch everything everywhere? And we're like, this was pretty easy. Yeah. You know, because we were like, we're like, hey, we're the farting corpse guys. This right. one's about um, a uh, mom going on an action adventure story and learning to love her family they're like oh my god that sounds marketable yeah, like, right. thank god you, you, you got over the yeah, fart no more stuff. farting weirdness and then we're like oh just wait you know? yeah yeah like, it, this time it just takes a little longer and then things go in butts you know yeah because I, I think we realized the film was going to be about just generation gaps in general yeah um every generation has to deal with it but what makes this generation gap between millennials and boomers so unique and yeah within the context of history is the fact that uh Millennials are the first uh, generation to grow up on the internet. Yeah. And for to have parents not understand what it was like to be able to just accidentally fall into all sorts of awful, terrible things when you're 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and, and the effect that might have on you growing up, um, that is a very bizarre uh, generation gap. And we realized the multiverse was a really good place for us to explore that. Uh-huh. Um, well, yeah. also what's interesting, too, and I'm just thinking about this now because I had a conversation with my producer yesterday just about – that that generation is now becoming adverse to emotions. Mm. Yeah, that that you know when they use words like cringe or awkward. Oh yeah. That you know it's really in reaction to vulnerability. Yeah. So there's a, a, a guardedness that's happening around engaging in, in true emotional vulnerability. Yes. That's a little disconcerting. Totally. And I think that there is something to that in the movie that what you come around to is 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 acceptance and 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 real vulnerability on both parts right totally um, yeah i reflecting on the cringe thing is is interesting because when you live your life online in yeah. in, in in social circles for the most part yeah uh, especially ones that are driven by algorithms there is no grace for any mistakes so that is, I think that is why people are so guarded, and that's why people like when you when you watch someone else make a mistake on online, you feel their pain. You feel, and you realize I never want that to happen to me, and so suddenly you have a whole generation of people who are fearful of looking like they made a mistake or fearful of being the cringe person online. It's like it's problem. It's, a, it's how are they going to exist in relationship exactly without how are they going to identify, you know, uh, uh, you know, evolving vulnerability. How do you yeah. grow yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. as a person if you if you're just uh, you're you're transferring the possibility of your own mistakes onto yes. somebody it actually happens to, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. live in fear of that, yeah. how do you develop? Uh, you have to listen to your podcast, WTF. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I do think like on the other side, 
like the you know the internet has started to celebrate mental health and vulnerability bit, but in these know. ways that are like oh cool like like I sometimes wonder if like yeah millennials are going to be the jaded ones but the kids are actually going to be like mm. vulnerable as hell and yeah. like they, just thinking about like with our movie I you know we never expected the thing that would go viral with kids would be selfies of them crying yeah but like on TikTok people would post yeah. like selfies of like how much they cried at our movie and that was the thing that they'd share oh and i was like whoa i thought they'd be t- talking about you that, know yeah that was the thing that sold hands. tickets because then someone would be like oh they why are, why is everyone crying at this movie i gotta go watch this it movie gives too. them permission to have the emotions that they're usually ashamed of i guess yeah, maybe really cool but it was honestly. i thought it was beautiful <laughs> i was like oh my god I, that's so cool i thought we, we had to sneak the the right the, the emotion in there but the emotion became the thing the, the selling point well that's interesting because it's not like you know no one's at risk Mm. Like mm. if somebody shares it, like this thing made me do this, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and yeah, then yeah. everyone's sort of like, "Well, I kind of want to do that if it's safe to do it." Yeah, totally. Right. Wild. Yeah, it, but if you didn't cry, that's fine too. Yeah, <laughs> some, people, some people, you know, I cry at everything. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that happens, but it, it's. I don't know if that's it's. Great. I was always kind of like that, though. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. take much. It doesn't. Take I love that. So, at the core of this, tell me about casting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you've gone over it, but I just talked to Michelle. Amazing, yeah. Two days ago. No way. Yeah. How was it? Great. I haven't heard it yet, obviously. I didn't put it up yet. Yeah. <laughs> In order to hear, we'd have to sit here together and do it. Right. <laughs> but uh, but she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did she roast us? Uh, no, she loves oh, you. Man. She's she's not doing any roasting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe after. But yeah, she, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, there's no roasting going on. But it was just, uh, we really went all the way back with her and, and her experience. But oh my God. how did you cast her? I mean, when we first started writing this movie, we knew it was going to be about Chinese family. And so we just asked ourselves selfishly if we could ask, have anyone play these, the mother and the, yeah. the mother and the husband? Right. Um, our our first picks were Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh. So yeah. Originally okay. So we she like, was always in there. Totally. And we started as a side their as, as the uh, supporting character. Originally, she was going to be the Waymond character. If that oh, makes okay. sense. Um, but long story short, like yeah. you know, we we just fell in love with the idea of it being about her. We ended up centering it on her. It was going to be the it. man story. What it was it was going to be the, the yeah the husband story. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. But like the first draft, I like to say it was like kind of like. Just like an obvious action comedy of like a guy bumbling on an adventure. Okay. You know? Right. And then it, it wasn't until it was like centered on Michelle that the, the whole family dynamic clicked, the, the mother-daughter thing. Right, and his struggle clicked. with masculinity exactly. and his identity. It suddenly identity. was like a movie I hadn't seen before. And before that, it was just like, you know, like yeah. a guy going on a misadventure, you know. Was like, but it kind Against of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, – but yeah, so casting was just like we always dreamed it was her. We were terrified what she'd say if she if she didn't like it, uh, like what we would do if she didn't like it. She was also up for it physically. I yeah. mean, she could do that stuff yeah. totally, which was another huge thing. Was like honestly, who else could have done all of that? I don't. Know. I don't know. No. Yeah, is no, there... but there isn't anybody. <laughs> exactly. Right, and we didn't want to do an action movie where you know stunt doubles do all the fun stuff. Sure. And so we, uh, yeah, we. She was the very first person we cast, and she was uh, by some miracle like. Uh, excited about it. I mean, I think she saw in it that this was a role that she doesn't get offered every day that she could show that she has yeah. more yeah. skills than people know. Um, and for us, when we first met her, we found out that she had a weirder sense of humor than we expected. And we were like, oh, what a miracle. Great. You know, like, oh, like she's seen a lot, dude. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we had this mental image of sure. Like, a fancy lady yes. would be upset by some of our jokes and she just was like, let's talk about Deadpool. Yeah, like, yeah. these jokes are so weird. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And and that was like, 
yeah, just an ideal thing. Well, it's, it's interesting because in this, you know, in dealing with the immigrant experience, specifically Chinese, to use somebody, you know, um, on a meta level of, of her, yeah. you, you know, uh, status yeah. and the way she's seen by the world, especially the Asian world, is sort of like great. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. To, to sort of transform her. And then, like, you've got um, – James Hong, <laughs> who every like in terms of American film and yeah. and the Chinese experience or what we grew up with, yeah. it's like hey, there's that guy. Yeah, he's the one and only face that has somehow lasted the entire, almost the entire span of cinematic history. Like he's been working since the 40s or 50s. Wasn't he it's right? Crazy. But wasn't he? He was in Chinatown. Yeah, he's in. He likes to say he was in 600. Uh, <laughs> TV, film, and video games. Is that like, true? Credits. Yeah, like 600. It's unreal. That's crazy. He's an airplane. Oh, yeah. He's uh, he, a little Blade old. Runner, Chinatown, Wayne's World, oh, Big, uh, Trouble, Big China. Trouble. That's one of his big ones. Kung Fu Panda. Oh, he's in The In Laws. Oh, now we can just sit here and go through his. I yeah, know. Just yeah. scrub through <laughs> that it, man. Could be a whole episode. Honestly, Blade you Runner. should bring him on. I don't know. Oh, That'd my be God. Funny. <laughs> that would he's, kind of be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was wild to kind of see to to meet him, and 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 you just instantly could tell like this guy hustles. He's been hustling for sixty. Yeah, but also like, you know, what it means like in in the sort of meta way on how people look at film and look at Asians and look at, you you know, the the sort of core story. Yeah. uh, That's not just a family story. It's an immigrant story. Totally. Right. And then getting uh, Kwan, how do you say it? Yeah, Kihui Kwan. Kihui Kwan. Yeah. You know, that guy, it's sort of like in all of our hearts, right? You know, know. Raiders of the Lost Ark, was he in the first one? Um, Second second one. one. Yeah, he was in Mm -hmm. Temple of Doom. And then like all of a sudden this amazing story, like that guy's, you know. Yeah. So there's something about film and there's something about, you know, family and there's something about, you know, that's dug into the yeah. Chinese American story. Completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the meta narrative of the casting was never intentional, but yeah. with every person we found that just happened to be their life story, a story of being un- overlooked or underappreciated in different ways. Um, but at, at, I was looking over my, my journals the other day, just trying to remember, you know, what we were thinking when we were making yeah. this movie. And one of the things I wrote was just this idea like, oh, if we could make a movie that made it so anytime you walked into a laundromat and you saw like an like a middle aged like immigrant working there, yeah, you would um immediately just think of just the the abundance of of potential or life that, yeah. that that exists in that human. Mm-hmm. Um because I I think originally in the movie we wanted Michelle Yeoh because it was it would be really funny if you see her and she's kind of um, living this very difficult life, struggling through um, trying to find the American dream, and then you jump to another universe and she's literally Michelle Yeoh. And, yes. and, and 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 there was a version. I'm glad we didn't go this way, but there was a version of the movie where every actor was going to have their real name. Right. So Jamie so Lee Curtis oh, right. with Jamie. Jamie. Well, then you yeah. get into sort of that uh, uh, the. Um, John Malkovich movie. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But the idea is supposed to be just like any of the people that you, that you are surrounded with every day when you're walking through the streets or driving uh, to the store, any of those people in another life could be just the most important person in the world or just the most sure. talented person in the world. It's, it's about like looking at the potential in, inside of people. Um, and so the meta narrative of the casting um, was, like I said, not intentional with all the other characters, but with Michelle, that was kind of the, the goal. Right. Um, but this multiverse thing, like... Like obviously, um, it's a great device. Yeah, and but as a philosophical, do you believe it? Mm. I kind of do. You do? 
Because I have these weird dreams. Do you ever like in waking consciousness mm-hmm. where you're like, you're kind of half awake, but you're living an entirely different life in that dream? Mm-hmm. Like you have responsibilities and, you know, different pets and everything. Like there is mm-hmm. yeah. this little world in waking consciousness, consciousness where I'm like, that must be the other mark. Uh-huh. Because they're never... <laughs> They're never dynamic things. It's just another relatively mundane existence. Wow. Right, but he likes dogs, not cats. Well, yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> Weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, we're also big into neuroscience, so that just makes me think about, like, I'm just fascinated with how brains work and the fact that, like, your lived experience right now is just, like, a predictive model that your brain is just constantly kind of updating. Pre- predicting and updating based yeah. on, like, little inputs. And so, like, of course, as you dream, it would just start to predict other random stuff. Right. And, uh, but that doesn't still mean, but then, but without getting into the sort of like, well, what is reality business, which I, <laughs> I just can't even fucking do that. Let's go. Why not? No, <laughs> we got a couple more hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> but is I see like the, there's critics, like you're giving critics the opportunity to throw around words like nihilism, existentialism, mm-hmm. absurdism. And, and, uh, and I have to assume that you, did you guys have discussions where like, where it's like, well, this is nihilism versus existentialism. Yeah, completely. A yeah, yeah. I mean, and we were a little scared of like, oh my god, we're so underqualified, you yeah. know. But like, but, but also like, that's, that's something exciting about getting audiences to like chew on something juicy, yeah, and kind of scary. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that I used to be um, basically a fundamentalist Christian. You know, I, I I believe that the Bible was the word of God and everything was true, and to. to live like that for most of your life like i i basically fell off around um like the, se- me. the second half of college yeah I exactly you. exactly uh-huh. um Uh-oh. but i really did. didn't try yeah. to i didn't try to but you know to have Poor guy <laughs> to have all of that pulled away from me was terrifying um and destabilizing and i spent you know I, i'm the rest of my life i'm, I'm still going through it i think mm-hmm. just trying to figure out like what 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 do i truly believe um but uh, specifically with this movie, like I, I found myself really grateful for the, for the realization that maybe nothing has inherent meaning, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's like a, it, it is existentialism. Some people call it like an optimistic nihilism or yeah. whatever. And I was like, this will be a fun challenge um, for us is if we can start a movie where the main character is terrified of the idea of nihilism that there is no inherent meaning in anything. And, right. And so when her daughter says it, she is like, oh no, you've become evil. This is bad. I gotta save you. And then for by the end of the film, for her to realize, oh, there's something incredibly freeing about this because yeah. now I'm not hung up um, by all these definitions and rules and labels and instead I can just see you as my daughter you know there's something very um, freeing about um, having all that shaken away so you can just look at reality for what it is in that moment interesting um, and, and so that becomes the the way that the the barrier between the two of them is kind of is lifted well that's interesting because like you know having grown up with that discipline and that kind of brainwashing like I didn't grow up like that so I realized that What's even weirder is if you don't have religion or you don't have, mm. you know, a structure dictating what is right and wrong in terms of how you're supposed to live your life, you kind of self-generate it. Mm-hmm. And so when you see mm-hmm. yourself in routines, you realize, like, there's no one dictating this but me and my fear. Right. So how do I break out of this dumb thing I'm doing just because I'm afraid to uh, to let in something else? And is this something that you were able to— um vocalize even from a young age being someone who didn't have like no I was just I was just uncomfortable and I always yeah. thought that like you know everyone else had it figured out but me mm. and that uh, I was always sort of awkward so I became <laughs> funny guy mm-hmm. yeah you yeah. know out of out of reflex but I can't imagine the brain fuck of of 
fundamental Christianity to be terrified on that level yeah. and to have that as, well, this is, this is how you're going to not go to hell. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. It's, it, it definitely fucked with me. And yeah. your parents are still in? Um, it, yeah, I mean, my my mother was always in, and my father was actually an atheist. So that was thank God, yeah, a little balance. Yeah, I do think that. But like, the, the funny thing about that was, like, as a kid, that really that really messes with yeah. you because every day you're sitting at dinner and yeah. you're like, if I don't save my dad, <laughs> if I don't oh, save my dad, no. you know. So if, if you're right. so, as so that a, becomes part of your agenda. I got to save yes, my dad exactly, and oh and, and if you don't, you fail him because God put you on this earth to save him. Yeah, and so it's it the whole thing as a kid. It was like. If you want to know why I had white hairs growing up and why I was always anxious and why I was yeah. always... It's, That's it's a lot of responsibility. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a lot of things, but it's the Christianity thing. It's being the kid of an immigrant. It's the ADHD mental thing. health thing. I was uh-huh. like, yeah, I had suicidal ideation. It was just like, this, I don't know how I survived high school. I was so miserable. <laughs> but anyways... Do you think like, you're better at asking for help now? Um like when you're certain in a people, low place? Certain, um, I am better, but that's only because I was so bad at it before. Totally. I'm, I'm, I was just I, thinking I have about a lot that, of like, room for improvement. We were working together as you lost your faith, and we never, we only talked about it through the work. Yeah. It wasn't I mean, like you were like, hey, man, I'm really spiraling. You know? <laughs> well, that's, well, that's the interesting thing about art, though, because yes. I mm-hmm. dated a painter for years who mm-hmm. was you know, a dark-minded person, but she would paint very bright, beautiful things almost as an antidepressant. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that the appeal of animation and having that kind of control to make things that made you feel good mm-hmm. and took you out of the fear and you know, that there's something almost antidepressant oh, about the nature of that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It, it, it is a, um, filmmaking is incredible because you are, you're playing God for a second. You know, you're, you're, you're for a moment, you're pretending that you actually are able to fight entropy and the yeah. chaos and organize it into something. And, uh, it's in very, it can be very empowering. Well, so. that's what this movie is about. Cause you yeah. really let entropy and chaos kind of rain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then bring it all back to like you know they're gonna be okay these two exactly mm-hmm. yeah. yeah good job fellas <laughs> Stop it, it just makes me think like like people listening you know you can ask for help oh, yeah. or there like or make a little art and explore it but like True. Don't, don't just bottle it up and you're not alone yeah and don't be afraid of vulnerability yeah man yeah. but why didn't you tell them you were spiraling that's just not my style. <laughs> I know, it's, it's you're funny. Gonna, you're going to suffer alone. Yeah, I, even I, as I we always, both do therapy, yeah. we still don't. We still like mostly talk about things through the world. Do you go through yeah. to filmmakers couple counseling? We've talked oh, about it. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> do, do those exist? Is, is there someone out there? I don't think they, I don't think anything. You, you, you dictate what a couple is. I, that's I true. had. You I, can yeah, go. That's right. Yeah. Totally. I've talked about it a lot. And I, uh, yeah, I always joke that it's like we're work married. Um, <laughs> yeah. And well, I, you are. I was just in therapy this morning and learning about this like. Uh, work, I have this homework to do this worksheet with my partner and uh, I was like oh man I want to do this worksheet with Dan too uh, <laughs> you can yeah it sounds great uh, yeah that'd so. be interesting yeah yeah well you up for I'll, it I'll keep you posted you might as well do yeah. it now it's before you before you guys get to that point where you're like I'm gonna do my own movie there's yeah, this worksheet I that I guess Brene Brown <laughs> she, invented oh yeah, yeah. Brown. but you know the one the worksheet I already showed you and John yeah where you just go through this list of 100 values yeah and then you pick the two that mean the most to you yeah and it's just a way to kind of like figure out like, oh, where's my center? And and there's something so insightful about asking someone to pick these two yeah. and being like, oh, that's that's what you care about, you know? Wow. Like, oh, like your your largest value is fun and friendship, you know? Huh. Like, whoa, or my biggest value is like, you know, um, whatever, 
stewardship is what our producer picked and I was like what does stewardship mean <laughs> <laughs> you nerd and trying then, to be vulnerable and you make fun of him and then he explained it to me and it was genuinely insightful and kind of beautiful <laughs> the and, sensitive bully yeah, that, I mean, but that the, is definitely his role <laughs> totally yeah tough love that's what I love like teasing people I love yeah. and uh, but like it actually was like oh my god that's the perfect value for a producer mm-hmm. yeah holy shit completely. I'm so lucky I met a steward yeah. holy yeah. cow it's nice to have a steward in your life yeah. occasionally of course yeah but the homework is to then yeah, pick a lot of them. Figure out which ones you share, which ones you don't share. Yeah, because like, yeah, it's like it's it's. Really I love her. I interviewed her. Well. I remember oh, seeing your amazing. TED talk, and I didn't even really? know what I was feeling. But I'm like, she has all the answers. No way. <laughs> and I, I was so when I interviewed her, I was like out of my mind. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Did you did you get all the answers you wanted? Have you figured out life? No. Mm-hmm. What I what I got was, and that would you know I didn't realize because you know my nature, especially with people that impress me, is. You know, I, I idealize them. Of course. And, you know, part of this, the experience of doing this podcast is realizing, like, oh, this is another person. This is like, <laughs> Barack person. Obama's boring. He's just, yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> just some guy. guy. <laughs> so, but the fact that Brene Brown, you know, was just sort of this Texan kind of party girl in, mm-hmm. in college. Wow. I was like, no, you've always been yeah. a, uh, <laughs> an emotional genius, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that was, a, I, I love, love that part. That. That's so funny. Totally. Well, great. Mm. It was great talking to you guys. And I, I, you know, just the fact that you are where you are is, uh, is it must be an amazing feeling. But I do hope you win something. <laughs> we've, we've already, the fact that we, yeah, that we are where we are. You already is, won. We've already so won. so surreal. We've already won too much. I, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the thing on the television. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, yeah. thanks for talking. Thank to you see for having me us. Have yeah. a panic attack live on TV. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Which one is going to do that? Me. Okay, good. Oh, my God. You got one coming. Uh-huh. There you go. Huh? That was fun. I like when they started learning things about each other there at the end. That's always great when I have two guests and when that happens. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is available to buy or rent on digital platforms and is streaming on Showtime. Hang out for a second, people. Please hang out. Hey, folks. This episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, folks, thank you for all the recent Ask Mark Anything questions. We just posted a new episode for Full Marin subscribers, so you can check that out right now, which includes some revealing answers. A few years ago, you mentioned accidentally sending a text about a famous couple you knew to one of the two in that couple. (laughs) It was a bit vague, and you wouldn't mention their names. Can you say who it is now? Yeah, it was Uh, husband. If you want to know who that was, sign up for the Full Marin now so you can hear that and all 
our bonus episodes and get every episode of WTF ad-free. Sign up using the link in the episode description or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. Tomorrow, Brendan and Chris will be back on the Full Marin for another Friday show. Next week here on the podcast, we have Austin Butler from Elvis on Monday and Hong Chow from The Whale and The Menu on Thursday. Here's something I'm working on. Yeah, I'm working on it. Don't tell anybody. Monkey LaFonda, cat angels everywhere. You know what's up.